You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Well, good morning. Welcome to Banner Church. I'm always like tentative on when to start because I can't see what's happening on the screens. And so I'm just like, is it time yet? It is. It is time. It is time to start. I am so thankful that you are here this morning. Um, Like Pastor Josh said, my name is Katie. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm just so thankful that you are here. And we are the lead pastors of Banner Church. Thank you. You guys always make me feel so special and loved. It's just like amazing to be here. I love it. Um, But I am really excited. This week we are going to be concluding our series uh, called Fear Less, which I don't know about you, but this has felt like one of the most timely series we have ever done. (laughs) This year has been wild, and so doing a series on fear has felt so incredibly perfect. Um, If you weren't here for the last three weeks, I do really encourage you, go online, uh, watch the messages. They are transformative, and God has done so much in our church and in the hearts of our people. So I do really encourage you to go back and watch them if you have not um, heard them yet. But I'm going to begin this morning the same way we have been beginning every single week. So I want to invite you to stand on your feet. We are going to read God's word. Um, I know that you've been getting used to Josh's pentameter, but this morning I I just encourage you and I invite you to read this verse along with me. We will get it. All right, it is 2 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love power and a sound mind. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Um, You know, I was driving around last week for second service, and uh, I realized, you know, as loud as we want to be, you actually can't hear you guys. So I want to encourage you, just be as loud as you want to be. Say amen. Amen. Give me some encouragement. I love it. It's good. And no one is going to know it's you on the video, so you're safe. So God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a sound mind. He's given us a mind that is firm and established. It is rooted in him. It is at peace with him. He has given us a sound mind. I want to start this morning by telling you guys a fun story about my family and um, specifically about my mom. I love my mom, but um, the sound mind did not always prevail in my home. And I want to share a fun story with you guys about that. There's a couple of things you need to know about my childhood in order for this story to really make sense. And the first is that um, I'm from a city called Briar. It is teeny tiny. It's like one and a half miles by two miles. And even people who are from near where I'm from, um, usually there are two responses for I live in Briar. The first is like, where's that? Like. I mean, I can't even think of where that is on the map. Or it's like, oh, yeah, I was driving there last week, got a speeding ticket. Because in Briar, there is, uh, there's two things. There is something that calls itself the Briar Grocery. No, it's a candy store. It's for children. Or it is the Briar Police Station. I don't know how on earth we managed in this tiny little town to get a police station, but we did. And what they use it for is to ruthlessly ticket people as they drive through Briar. Um, so if you if you have never heard of Briar, you know it's not surprising. But if you have, it's kind of like, well, yeah. What can I say? We have a police station. So um, it's a tiny little town, very sleepy. Nothing really happens there. In fact, I think if you Googled police reports Briar, it probably wouldn't pull up anything. I mean, I just don't think it would. I don't think anything has ever happened in that city. 
Um, so that's, that's where I'm from, and my parents still live there. They've lived there for like 40 years. Um, the other part of my childhood that is important for this story is that uh, when the TV was on at my home, if my dad was watching, it was like Stargate or Star Wars or Star Trek. It was some variety of sci-fi with people with blue skin and crazy hair. And I mean, that was what my dad loves. He still loves that. Um, but if my dad was not watching TV, my mom had one thing and one thing only on was Law and Order. I can still hear the the ditty that when it starts the bum 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 and like the sound effects in the middle of the show the like you know what I'm talking about I mean maybe some of you who are younger haven't watched it but it's like there's a really dramatic moment and it's like chung chung you know they have to like I don't know it's the way they transition that's all I can say but those sound effects are like ingrained in my brain. So we watched a lot of shows about uh, murder, about abduction, about just awful crimes happening to people. And I mean, I'm the baby of my family, so my oldest sister is like eight years older than me, so maybe when she was watching it, it wasn't as big of a deal, but for like, you know, a seven or an eight-year-old watching Law and Order, you're like, is this what the world is really like? I don't know, it might be, I've never lived in a city that big, so it's possible, I just don't know. But um, that was my childhood, was constantly uh, this fear that something might happen to you. So I lived, like, again, in a sleepy town, but my mom wouldn't let me go out of our cul-de-sac. I think when I was 13, I was finally allowed to ride my bike to my friend's house, who also lived in Briar, just on the other side of it, so like a mile away. That was like a big thing when I was allowed to uh, ride my bike there. So when I turned 16 and I got my license, because newsflash, that is what you do when you turn 16. You get your license. You 16-year-olds out there who don't have your license, it's the best thing ever. Get your license. It's awesome. So I, got, I know that's the sermon right there. Get your license. Um, so when I turned 16 and I got my license, um, up until then, I had just started attending a youth ministry that was outside of my family's little five-mile radius. It was in this city called Kirkland, which is like, I don't know, 10 times as big as Briar, maybe more. Um, and it, again, it was outside of our normal area, so it was really unfamiliar to me, unfamiliar to my mom. And until I got my license, I'd never had to drive myself there. And I don't, there is this funny thing that when you don't have to drive yourself to some place, you don't actually think about how to get there. Like, you know, you, you're just like, oh, yeah, that place. And then you get in the car and you're like, is it north? Is it south? East, west? I don't know. That is a big struggle for me, guys. I don't know directions at all. Do not have me lead you. I will not know how to get there. Um, but so, again, the city, big city, Kirkland. So I just started going there. And I had made some friends with these girls who uh, were graduating from there. I think it was like a middle school or junior high. They were having their ninth grade dance, and they invited me to go. And um, I had been attending a Christian school at the time. And at Christian schools, we're too cool for dances. We just have banquets. So I, <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I'm going to go. I'm going to experience this dance. And then we're going to have a slumber party and do all the girl stuff. It's going to be so much fun. And so I go up to my mom, and I'm like, hey, mom, can I go to this dance and spend the night at my friend Alyssa's house? I'm, I'm pretty sure my mom was like, yeah, that's fine. No worries. Go for it, hon. And so I get in my car, and I drive there. I go to this dance. 
And I immediately am very thankful that I go to a Christian school with no dances because I realize that I am not rhythmic at all. I, I don't know how to dance, and I wish I did. I love music, but dancing is just not one of the gifts that God has given me. And so I thought, you know what, it's good that I'm embarrassing myself in front of all these people that I've never met, nor will I ever see again, um, and not in front of people that I go to high school with and see every single day. Um, so I was very thankful for that. We went to my friend's house and did all the slumber party things. And then I was 16, so I think I slept in until probably like 11, at least, maybe 11.30, I don't know. At that point in my life, I barely got out of bed before noon on the weekends. So um, I get in my car and I drive home. And I arrive at my house, and I notice that something immediately is different. Uh, something is wrong is, is the best word for it. Something is wrong. So I walk inside, and my mom literally rushes towards me. My mom normally gets up at, like, 4 in the morning because she's crazy like that. And, uh, you know, she's still in her bathrobe at, at noon. So it's like, okay, something is clearly very wrong. And she comes up to me. She's like, where have you been? My guy, I, I was at the dance. She's like, I've been worried sick about you. I didn't know where you were. And I'm like, I, I told you I was staying at my friend Alyssa's house. And at this moment, I am panicking because I am a goody two-shoes. And I never disobey my parents ever. I mean, I used to have friends that would come and throw rocks at my window to try and get me to sneak out. No, 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 I don't play those games. I don't know what my parents are going to do if I sneak out and they catch me. So there's no way I'm doing that. So I'm panicking because my mom is visually very upset. And she tells me, I waited up until 3 a.m. in the morning. Then I finally went upstairs and got your dad, and we drove around to Kirkland looking for you. I was like, you drove, like, you drove from here to the city of Kirkland, just driving around. You don't, I didn't give her an address. She didn't know where I was. I, I didn't even tell her the name of the school. She had no idea where I was. But she is driving around the city of Kirkland. And you want to know what she was looking for? She told me she was looking for me in a ditch. Yeah, she's like, I'm driving around the city of Kirkland. I'm looking for you in a ditch. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, are you serious right now? And, again, I am panicking because I am so upset that I have made my mom so upset. But in my mind, I'm like, I told you where I was going. But my mom, in that moment of anxiety, she had absolutely no clue where I was, and there was nothing that she could do about it. Now, um, this crazy story, this whole thing ended actually pretty well for me. I didn't get grounded because I think I had actually convinced my mom, no, you forgot. You forgot that I told you. I told you what was going to happen and you forgot. So my mom is the sweetest woman in the world and so she didn't ground me. Instead, I got a cell phone out of the deal, which was awesome. <laughs> you know, at, at that time, like, not everyone had cell phones. Like, now it's like every eight-year-old has a cell phone. Um, but at that time, I didn't have a cell phone. And as I mentioned previously, I really struggled with direction. And so I got this cell phone, and I was like, yes, this is a landline I, or a lifeline. I can call and get directions from someone when I am inevitably lost in Kirkland. Um, but, yeah, crazy story. It, it's just so much anxiety, and I, I felt so bad for my mom. And I think the reality is if we were all honest with ourselves, we would say we've had that feeling before, that overwhelming anxiety because there is something that is going on that is completely outside of your control. Is that like just 2020? Honestly, like this whole year, I, I mean, like the whole, uh, I felt like I had such great, like, 
grip on everything. And then it was like, oh, your child is going to start being, you know, schooled from home from a laptop, which she has no idea how to use. And <laughs> now you're going to have to figure out how to make this work. And also you have to make sure she turns stuff in. It's like, okay, I thought I had control over the school, but this is wild. And it's like, you know, we think we have control over our health and then people are getting sick crazily all over the place. We think we have control of our finances and then it's like, oh, you're going to lose your job right now and I don't know when you're going to get another one. This year has been full of anxiety and worry for people. We're living with an anxious heart, so many of us, and it is a heavy burden on our shoulders. It is a weight that we are carrying around every single day. Proverbs 12:25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Man, have you ever felt like that? Known people who are like that? Where it's like a, you can actually see it on them, the weight that they carry because of the anxiety in their life? But we just read at the beginning that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a sound mind. He has not given us anxiety. He has given us a sound mind. He's given us a mind that is rooted in him, that is stable, and yet somehow we are still weighed down by anxiety. Um, I want to go through this short little test with us. You know, maybe you're thinking, like, I don't know, that seems pretty extreme. Like, I'm not out at 3 a.m. in the morning driving around looking for my daughter in a ditch. I don't, I don't think I really struggle with that kind of anxiety. We're going to do a simple test, and this is going to give us a little insight. Um, if you're online, I, do, I just encourage you to comment and be like, yeah, that's me. If you're here, you know, we're friends. We're family. We can be honest with each other. I just encourage you, if this is you, when I say these things, go ahead and raise your hand. Let's commiserate together. So how do you know if you're anxious, if you're living with an anxious heart? Number one, you worry about things outside of your control. Yep, amen, right there. You're my mom at 3 a.m. in the morning. Be like, I don't know what to do. I need to do something. Number two, you feel rattled. You feel rattled when things happen that don't go to plan. You lose your job right before you're about to retire, and you're like, cool, what am I supposed to do now? You feel rattled. Number three, you lose sleep over pressing issues. I talk to a lot of you. I know you're insomniacs. Don't even pretend. You're losing sleep over your finances. You're, like, trying to do algebra in your head at night, and you're like, okay, if X equals Y. Guys, I can't remember algebra anymore. Those are the only things I know. <laughs> that's it. That's the, that's the extent of my algebra these days. Number four, you find it hard to turn off your mind. It is a runaway freight train, and this is me, and honestly, this leads to my loss of sleep, the fact that my brain won't stop. I used to sleep like just this sweet little baby. I would sleep all through the night, and this year, I swear, it's like I wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning, and all the thoughts that I wanted to think, but I couldn't think because my children were talking to me all day, those are the thoughts that come to my brain, and then they just don't stop, and then it's like, all right, it's 6 a.m., I guess I'll get up. Number five, you feel intimidated by the unknown. There are things that we can't plan for. Think, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Do you feel intimidated? Are you afraid of it? The things that you can't plan for. And the last one, number six, are you my mom driving around Kirkland at 3 a.m. in the morning looking for her daughter in a ditch? Are you imagining the worst case scenario? You don't go to the positive. You immediately go to the worst. 
you hear about your neighbor's neighbor's friend's niece's cousin gets COVID and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to go get tested because I might die. Like that is where you are right now. Worst case, hey, that that is real life right now. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that where we're are imagining the worst case scenario. So I think I think it's safe to say by show of hands, I imagine online just hands everywhere, just the, you know, waving high five hands. We are all living with some form of anxiety. And maybe right now it's not as pressing, but I think if we were really honest, we would say we have all dealt with all of these at some point in time in our lives. Because we live in an anxious world. There are things going on that cause anxiety. But the question then is why? If God has promised us a sound mind, why are we struggling so much with anxiety? I think for me, you know, honestly, I, I do struggle with anxiety, if I'm being honest with you guys. It is one of the things that God is working in me and has been working on me for years. Uh, just even being up here holding a microphone and speaking words into it is how God is overcoming my anxiety and my fears. He's using my husband to, to work out his will in my life to push me. <laughs> I mean that in the best way possible. But I personally struggle with a lot of anxiety, and I think one of the most anxiety-ridden times of my life um, was when I got pregnant with Lucy. Uh, many of you know that before that, uh, we had actually been pregnant, and I ended up having an ectopic pregnancy, and I had to get lots of different kinds of shots, and I was in the doctor's office often getting my blood tested, um, and it was, it was a very, very trying time in our life, and it was just kind of like, it, it, when I look at it, it really wasn't a long period of time, but it was like every single thing came up all at once, and so it felt really long. And so uh, when I got pregnant with Lucy, it was, I mean, the first time I got pregnant, it was a for sure surprise. I, I was like totally blown away by the fact that I was pregnant, and then we lost it. And then when I got pregnant again, it, it again surprised me because literally it was like the very first moment that I could possibly have gotten pregnant, I got pregnant. And so immediately the thoughts are running through my brain of like, well, what if this happens again? You know, what if I have to go through the anxiety? What if I have to go through the hurt? What if I have to go through the physical hurt? What if I have to go through the emotional hurt all over again? But God was so faithful and I kept progressing week after week. And um, right about the time when we started telling people that we were pregnant, um, God introduced a new kind of anxiety to me. Uh, I was not one of those children that, like, loved to play baby dolls or family. Uh, I was the, the baby of my family, so I always was treated like the baby. Why would I want another baby? Like, I liked being the baby. I liked being spoiled and nurtured. It was amazing. So I didn't babysit. Um, I wasn't around children very often. Um, that was just not, not my life. And so when I found out I was pregnant, and the immediate first moment was like, oh, what if we lose it again? The second thought was, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to give birth. <laughs> Let me tell you, there are... There are not many thoughts that have come through my brain that has been as anxiety-ridden as that one. And it is so funny because, you know, when you're preparing to, to have a baby, uh, there's all these different things, you know, that they tell you to do, like to create a birth plan. And it's like all the sweet things that you want. Like I want vanilla-scented candles in my birthing suite, and I, I want, you know, this lovely song to be playing while I'm giving birth or whatever. 
my birthing plan was literally like get it out and do whatever you need to do to make it not feel so bad like whatever that is I don't know um, but I, you know, I, that was my birthing plan, but all these women are telling me about, you know, their, these birthing plans that I should have, and, um, there is a funny thing culturally for us with women. If, if you've given birth to a child, you feel like it is your God-given right to tell pregnant women who've never had children what their childbirth is going to be like. We love to tell our gruesome stories to other women and terrify them. I will never forget this one woman. Oh, my gosh. She told me this story about giving birth, and she did it from home, which I knew. And I'm not saying it's wrong if you do it. I just knew it wasn't for me. Um, she's having this baby from home, and the, the positions she was telling me she was getting into birth this child. I, I go to the end of it, and it's like I'm looking at the baby. I'm looking at her, and I'm like, well, you're okay. And, like, you have this beautiful baby but at what cost? At what cost? And so I had this immense amount of anxiety about what was going to happen when that time actually came and I had to give birth. And it, it was this reality that I came to that at the end of the day, I could have a birth plan. I could have all these desires and thoughts and things that I wanted. I couldn't control if those things were actually going to happen. I only needed to talk to my mom one time and have her tell me, yeah, I plan to have all these certain things, and then every single one of you came so quickly, I never got to have an epidural. I was like, oh, God, please don't let that happen to me. <laughs> but the reality was that I, there was just no control. I could control no aspect of that. I knew that the baby was coming out, and I, praise God, I gave birth to a healthy baby, and God kept me safe. But other than that, I had zero control over any aspect of that birth. And truly, that is the root of our anxiety. That is why I was living so anxiously through my pregnancy, was because I didn't have control. The root of our anxiety is in the things that we cannot control. We worry about losing control of the things that we think we hold in our life, when the reality is we don't have control over them. You might have a really great job, but there's nothing that says that your company can't be bought out and you just get left in the, you know, in the wayside. There's nothing that says that you have control over that. But the really, really good news this morning is that control, which we've never had and we never will have, instead of that, God offers us something infinitely better, which is his perfect peace. I might not be able to have control, but what I can have is the peace that God gives me through a sound mind, a mind that is rooted in his peace. So then the question this morning is, how can we experience that peace? How do we have the sound mind that God promises us that we can have? And I think the Bible gives us two principles for how we can do that. The first is this. We have to give God the what-ifs of our fear. What if I don't make it to the hospital and I have to give birth in a car? What if I lose my job? What if I never find my spouse? What if I'm never able to conceive? What if I get COVID? What if my child gets COVID? There are so many things in our lives that are uncontrollable, and they are the what ifs that give us so much fear and anxiety. But it is, in fact, Jesus in Luke 21:14 
who says, but make up your mind beforehand not to worry. When do we make up our minds not to worry? Beforehand, before the situation arises, before the thing that would give you anxiety ever comes to be. Because the truth is, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I can't worry today about tomorrow maybe getting in a car accident driving here. I can't control so many of those circumstances. I have to choose beforehand not to worry. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Are any of you guys golfers? I feel like we live in the perfect place. Where, really? Okay, come on, lift it high. I want to know how many golfers in here. Wow. I love golf. You might not know that about me because I haven't actually really golfed in six years because I haven't golfed since I got pregnant with Lucy. Unless you count Top Golf, which I love me some Top Golf. That's like my favorite thing coming to Arizona is Top Golf. It's wild, but it's fun. But I love golf. The funny thing about golf is I never started golfing uh, until I met Josh and his parents. Um, they go on these wonderful vacations when I first met them. I, I loved my family vacations, but we would, like, go camping or take a, like, a million-hour road trip somewhere. Um, but Kevin and Sheila and Josh, they love to fly places. <laughs> they get on planes for their vacations. And uh, I had not done that in quite some time. So they like to come to places like this. So we used to live in Seattle, which is very rainy and gloomy most of the year. So during those times when you literally can't handle it anymore, you have to go somewhere where there's sun. And so they would come to Scottsdale, and they would go to Palm Springs, and they would golf. And so I realized if I was going to go on vacation with them, I needed to learn how to golf. So um, to his credit, Mr. Kevin Weisbrod is an amazing golf teacher. If you ever, yes, give it up for him. If you ever want to learn how to golf, you just ask him. He has lots of time on his hands. I'm sure he'd love to teach you how to golf. Just signing him up for that right here. Um, but there are many things you need to know when learning to golf, and it, it takes a long time. It took a long time for me to really get the rhythm of golf, of the swing, and, and all these things. And um, when you're uh, learning how to golf, you usually start out on the driving range. And when you're on the driving range, there's not really, like, anything in your way. You're just, like, hitting the ball and trying to get it to get out there, like there, in that direction. Um, you know, for me, it was like I would like for it to go more than five feet in front of me, or I would actually like to hit the ball, not just swing over it, but I'd like to hit the ball. Um, so, uh, uh, like I'm saying, on the driving range, not as many obstacles. Um, but when you're actually on the golf course, um, it, things change. There are things that you didn't see at <laughs> the driving range, and they're called hazards. Uh, you have your normal ones, like your sand traps, the bunkers, those kinds of things, or, you know, the water hazards, which are like the pretty fountains and ponds that they used to make the golf course look beautiful, but which you also simultaneously hate. Um, <laughs> and then there are the less common hazards, uh, like deer. Deer. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had that hazard while golfing, uh, but one time we went on vacation with my family uh, into the Sierra Nevadas where we go every year, and there's a little nine-hole golf course. It's so fun. And so we're golfing, and I get my hot pink golf ball because I love stuff that's flamboyant and, you know, ostentatious. And I set it down, and I look up, and right in front of the fairway, there's not a single hazard on this hole, like literally nothing. But in comes... Bambi and his mom 
And I mean, immediately I'm like, okay, just don't, just don't hit the deer. Just don't, just don't hit the deer. Don't hit the deer. Okay, take my practice swing. Don't hit the deer. Smack! <laughs> right on her hip. I mean, just, I, th I didn't see her the next day, but I imagine just the fattest welt on this deer's hip. And I, I honestly didn't live it down for a really long time, and I felt so bad about it. But the thing was, the more I thought about the hazard, the more I thought about the thing that was in my way, the more it troubled me, the more it became an obstacle in my life. And instead of hitting onto the, the good stuff that's right there, that's out there, I hit the deer. I hit exactly what I was worrying about, exactly what I was thinking about. When you worry about stuff, it only makes it worse. That's why Jesus tells us not to worry, because worry never changes anything. No matter how much I worry about the hazards on the golf course, they will not shrink. The sand trap is still there. The water is still there. No matter whether I worry about it or not, it's there. Matthew 6.27 says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The Bible is very clear. Worrying will change nothing. You know, there are so many what-ifs in life that if we spend our time worrying about all of the what-ifs, we either become paralyzed, we stand at the tee box, and we never actually hit the ball. We may take a million practice swings, but we'll never hit the ball because we're so worried about where it might go. Or you're the golfer who hits 30 balls into the same thing of water because you're spiraling. Worry never changes anything for good. It might make things worse, in fact. Oftentimes, worry will ruin your relationship with your spouse. If you're constantly worried about them being faithful, it shows. You become a nag. You become so obsessed with what they're doing and where they're going that you ruin your relationship with them. Worry ruins your relationship with the Lord. It can ruin your relationship with others. It can make you physically ill. Worry never changes anything. So Jesus tells us not to worry because it doesn't change anything. And secondly, because Satan will use worry and anxiety as a tool to keep you from God's best. One of my favorite verses is John 10.10. 10, and I feel like it has come to mind a lot this year. It says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that we may have life and have it to the full. God says that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but man, the enemy will surely use fear to distract us and deter us from the things that God wants to bless us with. Every single fear we have talked about this month Man, on the other side of that fear, it's like the fear is a wall in between you and the things that God has for you. On the other side of the wall of the fear of intimacy is relationship and closeness with God. It's a knowing of each other. It's a knowing of other people. There's encouragement and life-giving love on the other side of the fear of intimacy. On the other side of the wall of the fear of failure is the good things that God has for you. It's growth and change. He wants to show you that he is in control. And even when sometimes we do stumble and fail, that life isn't over, that that's not the end of our journey, that he wants you to grow from it. He wants you to learn from it. He wants to teach you skills, and he wants to show you the gifts that he has given you. 
On the other side of the wall of the fear of rejection is the identity that God has given you in Christ. It's a realization of your anointing. It's a walking in the power that he's given you. And on the other side of the wall of the fear of losing control, of anxiety and worry, is peace. Peace that is perfect. Peace that God gives us, not that the world gives us. It is a perfect peace that God has given us. But we can't go around fear. We can't go over it. We can't, like, skirt by it. You have to break through the wall. You have to allow God to work in your life to break through your fears. You have to give God the what-ifs of your fear. Because ultimately, you're worrying about it doesn't change anything. And so often, it keeps you from the good stuff that God has for you. The second principle is this, of how you can experience God's perfect peace. You have to put your mind on the promises of faith. Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When our minds and our eyes are focused on Jesus because we trust Jesus, he in turn keeps us in perfect peace. We get to rest in the peace of Jesus. That means that in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of a COVID world, in the middle of financial crisis in your life, in the middle of racial tension in our country, God will keep you in perfect peace when you focus your mind and your eyes on him. A few weeks ago, Pastor Josh talked about uh, the disciple Peter and how Jesus, in the middle of a storm, Jesus is walking on the water and he calls Peter out of the boat to come to him. And Peter steps out of the boat He's got his eyes focused and fixed on Jesus, and he starts walking on those waves. But the very moment that he looks away and he looks at not Jesus, but his circumstances, he begins to sink. And it's not that in that moment that Peter didn't love Jesus. He still, he still was there. He still loved Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. And it's not that God didn't love him or wasn't walking with him, wasn't with him. But in that moment, Jesus, or excuse me, Peter chose not to trust Jesus. The anxiety of the circumstances in his life were too overwhelming. He said, in this moment, I love you, Jesus, but I'm not going to trust you. And he took his eyes off of him, and he was overwhelmed by the wind and the waves and the storm of his life. But God loves us, and he's for us, and he's with us, right? I love Proverbs 3, 5. I was talking to Josh on the way here. Um, I learned this verse, I'm, I'm confident, when I was a little kid in VBS. And so it is, like, ingrained in my brain as a song. I really debated singing it for you, but no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> do you want to hear it? Okay. I did not do this for first service, so this is surely for you. All right. Alec, this is my audition for the worship team. Okay. I got, I got this. It's okay. I have confidence in who God made me to be, and I might not be a singer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Yeah. <laughs> Man.
man, I'm just overcoming fear over fear over fear this morning. Yeah, let's come on. But if you're a parent, or maybe you're not a parent, and you're like, man, I'd love to memorize scripture. Don't, it's not silly. Learn some scripture to some songs. It is so good for remembering, and that verse has stuck with me my whole life. But man, what an incredible verse to have tucked away in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. My friend Scott this morning was reminding me, my ways are not greater than his ways. My thoughts are not higher than his thoughts. His thoughts, his ways, he, the way that he sees all, knows all, is above all, is greater than me. I cannot lean on my understanding. I can't lean on what I can know and understand and see because I am a finite being. But God is infinite. He has seen time from the beginning. He lives outside of it. I shouldn't trust in myself. I should trust in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. In every circumstance, in every choice, in every crisis. I shouldn't lean on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. I don't want to walk on the path that's confusing and that is not marked and that hasn't been paved for me. I want to walk on the straight path with the God who sees it, who knows it, who knows me. He knows the pitfalls that are going to get me, and he's going to lead me on the straight path. He's going to pick me up when I fall. I want to trust in God. You know, when we first moved here from Washington, even though we lived really very close to the water, our daughter had never really been in like a pool or anything like that. And, you know, the first time she jumped in the water here, it was like, just freedom. She's like, yes, just jumped in the water. She doesn't know that if we're not there to catch her, then there is a reality that she could sink and drown. She just carefree jumps in. Now, the second time she jumped in the water, she, you know, had not experienced the fear of the first time, so she's not afraid of the water, so she just walks up and jumps in. And there was about five seconds before Josh and I pulled her out of the water, and in that moment, there was a very real understanding of the danger of drowning. There was a real understanding of the danger of her circumstances. So when the third time came for her to jump in the water, we were there with her, and it was more of an act of trust when she jumped in the water, she had to trust that Josh and I were going to catch her, that we were going to be there, that we weren't going to let her sink. It didn't change the, 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 uh, the water. The water was still water. The water was still able to drown her. The water was still a danger. But she trusted us to catch her because she knows that we care for her. And it is the same way with our Father God. Trusting in God doesn't change the things around us. It doesn't make life, you know, I mean, it makes life easier in the sense that we're walking with him and he loves us and he cares for us, but it doesn't change the outcome of things that we can't control. We may still lose our job. We may still get sick. Our parent may still get cancer. Those things are still very real and they are still around us, but we choose in that moment not to focus on the hazard, but we choose to focus on Jesus. We focus our eyes on God. Because at the end of the day, God has our best interest at heart. He came 2,000 years ago, and he died for us. He gave up everything so that we could have relationship with him. So I know that at the end of the day, he loves me and cares for me. 
Romans 8.28 says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. That's not a verse that says, hey, everything's going to be good. But it's, going, it's a verse that says that God will work things out for the good. Even in the difficult things in your life, God will turn those around and make them blessings for you. It blows my mind even thinking about walking through the difficulty of losing a child and having an ectopic pregnancy. But how many times has God given me the opportunity to use that to encourage and love someone else? God will use all things for the good. George Mueller says this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. The beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. How many of you guys want the end of anxiety in your own hearts and minds today? I'm right there with you. If you want to end worry and anxiety in your life, then you must put your mind on the promises of faith. That God is going to give us perfect peace. That he's going to lead us down a straight path. Look at the difference between faith and worry. Faith brings peace. Worry brings turmoil. Faith draws you closer to God, and worry takes you from him. In those moments when you feel really distant from the Lord and something is overwhelming you, worry is taking you from him. Faith changes things. Worry can change nothing. Worry will never change anything. So we know we need to give God the what-ifs of fear, and we know we need to put our mind on the promises of faith. So here's a practical way that we can do that today. This is how you can start living in freedom from anxiety and how you can break the fear of losing control and receive the sound mind that God has promised you. You give your cares to God, and then you make a decision not to take them back. Peter, walking on the water, tells us just this, that we are to give our cares to God because he cares for us. We're not giving them to the cosmic ether and saying like, okay, here's my worries. I'm going to send them out. We're giving them to a God who infinitely cares about us. He knows us inside and out. He knows the things that are worrying us. He knows the things that are causing us anxiety. And he says, I've got you. I've got your back. I am in control. I am sovereign. I am God, and there is no one like me. But so often we treat God in a way that we wouldn't allow our children to treat others. We take our worry, and we're like, okay, okay God, here it is. And then I'm going to take it back. You know, it's like when you're trying to get your kid to share, and it's like, okay, fine, I'll let you have my car. And then, okay, mom and dad's not looking. All right, I'm going to take it back. We need to not just lay them at Jesus' feet, but then not take them back. We don't want them back. Let's be honest, right? You want to lay it down, your burden. After you've been carrying like a 50-pound backpack, you don't want to put it down and then be like, oh, well, you know what? I actually liked, I liked the pain that that was giving me. No, you want to leave it at the feet of Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Give your cares to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which is beyond my scope, which is more than I could possibly imagine, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
God says, don't be anxious about anything. He's not saying that those worries are small or insignificant, that the fears that we have, the things in our world are not worrisome. He's saying, I'm bigger than them. Trust me with them. Give your cares to God. And I love the word that Paul uses here. It says it will guard our hearts. It is true. There are things that are kind of, kind of going to come against us. John 16, says, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. He knows that the world is full of trouble. But he's saying, I'm going to give you my peace, and it is going to guard you. So that when those things come against you, it's not that then you're anxious and then you have to continually choose to lay it down. But it's that moment of as, as soon as the anxiety begins to rear its head and you go, no. I am protected by the perfect peace of the God who is in control of the universe. Perfect peace will guard your heart and your mind. Proverbs says an anxious heart will weigh you down. But scripture also says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in every circumstance, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God, give your cares to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It is by faith we cast our cares on God. It is by faith we trust that he cares for us and that he is in control of all things. On your seat this morning when you came in, there was a half page of paper. I want to encourage everybody to take that. If you're online, the tools don't matter. Maybe you've got a receipt on your desk, grab that. Maybe you just got your iPhone, pull up a note. This morning, God is calling you. He's calling you to lay down your anxieties and to put him at, put them at his feet and in turn receive his perfect peace. There are so many things in this world that threaten our peace, but we serve a God who stands above it all. This morning, our job, we have control of, is to lay those cares at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds, and I want you to take this moment to write whatever is on your heart. What is that heavy burden that has been bothering you day in and day out, that has been keeping you up at night? Lay that at the feet of Jesus. Write that down on that piece of paper. And maybe this morning you're watching online, you're here, and you're like, I've never given God control of my life. I've never allowed him that. What I want you to write this morning, my heart. This morning, God wants you to give him your heart. If you've never made that decision, or maybe you need to make that decision for the second time, the third time, whatever it is, there is literally nothing better than a life lived with Jesus. There is nothing better than living in the peace that he offers you. So this morning, if you struggle with anxiety and you've never given your heart to him, Give him your heart so that you may in turn lay down the burden and pick up peace. Right now, the band is going to play. I'm going to pray over you as you write that down. And then in a few moments, I'm going to invite you to do something with it. But let's pray. Lord God, this morning, we acknowledge that you are in full control, that you are the God who stands sovereign above all things. 
And God, you know what's going on in our hearts and our minds. You know the things of this world that would threaten the peace that you have promised us. And so God, right now, I pray over fears of finances, fears of losing jobs, fears of finding the perfect spouse, fears of uh, not being able to conceive, or maybe it's getting sick. God, there are so many things, but God, I know that over all of those things is you. You're the one who promises to lead us, to guide us. And so this morning, I pray that as we write, even as we write the words, God, would you begin giving us peace? Would you begin even then to take those worries from us? Lord God, we thank you that you are with us, that your word says that you will never leave or forsake us, and you are a trustworthy God. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. As you're finishing writing, I just want to tell you this area up front right here is called the altar in a church. In other buildings, it's just another space. But right here, this is a sacred area that God does amazing work. In the Bible, Israel used the altar to give their sacrifices to the Lord. They would come and present things, and the priest would light that stuff on fire. It would be consumed with flames. The thing that they brought with them, as it burned, it would provide a fragrance to the Lord. The Bible says it was a pleasing aroma. And this morning, I want to give you guys the opportunity to present your sacrifice to the Lord, to come and to lay your cares before him. So would you all stand with me this morning? This is a sacred place right here. God wants to change your heart. He wants to give you freedom from this fear. And he wants you to leave this place with peace. As the band plays this song, I want you to take a moment and pray over that care, that worry yourself. And in the moment when you feel like I'm ready to lay it before the Lord, I want to invite you to come up, to lay your care before the Lord, and make the decision right then and there not to take it back. I'm going to gather them up. I might burn them just for the symbolism. <laughs> so that there's nothing for you to take back. There's no worry that you can take back when you leave this place. You leave knowing that God is in control and that he is worthy of your trust. So this morning, let's worship together the God who is in control. And then let's give him the cares of our heart.